Oh, hey there. This is Ken. You haven't heard my voice on this RSS feed for a little while. As Jeremy has mentioned a couple times, I've been quite busy. We've purchased a house and have been fixing it up. A lot of work, time, energy that's been put into it. But we praise God for it. God has provided in tremendous ways. He has provided people that have helped us in so many ways. So we are so delighted and thankful for everything that God has done as we have sought to move into this house and get settled. Ministry life has also accelerated in different ways, so there's just been a lot happening that has prevented me from being able to sit down with Jeremy and do a recording. Except for what you're about to hear. You're about to hear a live episode that Jeremy and I recorded when we attended the IFCA convention in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Jeremy and I are both members of IFCA International. You can go to ifca.org to uh, learn more about that. But we recorded this, and... We hope it's beneficial for you. Without any further ado, after the music, our session on Against Escapism, Living with Hope in Our Pre-Trib Age. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's, it's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic. It's watered down. It has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. The, uh, the, the, the title of our session is Against Escapism, Living with Hope in Our Pre-Trib Age. Uh, we are, of course, uh, pre-tribbers here at the IFCA convention. We believe that there will be a glorious rapture of God's church before the tribulation that will take place on the face of the earth, a literal seven-year tribulation that is not for the church, but is for those who uh, have rejected Jesus Christ, and God's wrath will be poured out on the earth. Uh, However, as pre-tribbers, uh, there's a stereotype that we have. N- not sure how aware we all are of the stereotype. I'm sure many of us have probably <laughs> received this at some point, the the, uh, the accusation of being an escapist. Yeah. Well, you believe your church is going to get raptured. Why engage with the world? That's, that's what your position leads to. It has led to a generation of individuals who have disengaged from the culture. That's why America is in the shape that it's in today. It's your fault. Yeah, because... It- have any of you heard that before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so we, we get accused of, well, you're just you're abandoning the culture, and you're just sitting around looking at the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back. And, and surely there have been pockets in Christianity where that's happened. Yes. Uh, we're not here to deny that. But, but let's first uh, define escapism, and then what we're going to do is, is play a little defense before we go on offense. So we're going to define escapism, defend ourselves, and say, look, that's actually not what dispensationalism is. That's not what... Uh, or the literal grammatical hermeneutic is. And then from there, we're going to go on offense and say, you know what, actually, uh, our, our dispensationalism drives us to cultural engagement. Amen. So yeah, let's, let's go ahead and start with the definition of what escapism is. So we have, we have defined escapism this way. Escapism is the often subconscious resistance to cultural engagement due to an over-realized eschatology. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a mouthful. 
One so more time. One more time for the people in the back. Yeah, let, let's, and then we'll break it down a little bit. Escapism is the often subconscious resistance to cultural engagement due to an over-realized eschatology. So we recognize, hey, we are, we are pre-trib. Uh, the rapture could happen any moment. So the charge that would come against us would be, well, it seems that as the day draws near, as we look at the world around us and as we see it, things are going just as it was predicted to go, things are going from bad to worse, as Paul says in, mm-hmm. in, in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy rather, uh, well, then why should we engage? We're just going to pull back and just wait for the return and we're going to get out of here, we're going to get out of this mess. That's, that would mm-hmm. be the charge of escapism. And so the first question is, of course, is, is it, escapism true? Right. And <laughs> is it true that we are escapists? Well, the answer is, uh, generally speaking, no. But if it is true anywhere, uh, you know, our admonition is stop. Okay, uh, if you're a dispensationalist who is escaping the culture, wanting to 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 not engage with the culture and just wait for the rapture in a holy huddle somewhere, uh, that that's no good. Right. And I'm sure some of us have experienced individuals that did go to that conclusion. In fact, I can tell a story of a time that I was in a church. I was a guest speaker at the church. And after, so I'm a church planter. I don't know how many of you know that. I'm in the middle of planting a church right now. And I was sharing our ministry, sharing the vision, all the things that we were looking to do, the things that we were in the middle of right then. And I had this sweet lady come up to me afterwards. And she was very kind. She was very gracious. But she pulled me aside and said, you know, I just... I want to commend you. You know what you're doing is so noble. I I really appreciate what you're trying to do, but but I just have to tell you, none of it's going to matter. Jesus is going to come back before you get established. <laughs> it's like okay, well, what do you do with that? that? That's that's the kind of escapism that that we're trying to speak against yeah. here today, where that's not that shouldn't be the conclusion of our eschatolo- eschatological position, and yet that was the conclusion there. And I had to tell us, hey, you know. May, you know, if the Lord would come back, praise the Lord. Let's yeah. let's go. I'm ready. Amen. You know, pray, uh, may it come. Lord, come quickly. But if He tarries, we must be about the task yeah. of fulfilling the Great Commission and taking the gospel out, so that as many people as possible can hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And during the COVID times, of course, there have been lots of people who are like, okay, because of all this stuff that's going on, yeah. we know the end is is nigh. Yes. And you know, I've engaged with several of those people, even some in my church, and you know, my response is, can you imagine being in Europe 800, 900 years ago, Black Plague spreading throughout an entire continent, killing large percentages of an entire continent, Roman Catholic Church... Had a little bit of power, right? Uh, you know, a, a corrupt church, probably feeling a lot like Elijah a lot of times. Uh, am, I, am I the only one? And, and you had to think, you know, 1200 AD, 1300 AD, I, I'm the only one. Yeah. So the Lord's going to be coming back soon. And they did think they were in the last days at that time. Yes. They absolutely did. They, they thought that that, this, that was the apocalypse. You know, uh-huh. you 50% of the population is dying. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's way more than we saw with COVID, obviously. Yeah, and but, we're talking 800 years ago. Yeah, and so we we have to have historical perspective. Yes, when we lose historical perspective of church history, what has happened in the world, we start thinking that we're the only ones who've ever gone through anything difficult, that we're the only ones who've ever dealt with corrupt leaders or anything like that. Which it, we we should not be ignorant as Christians. Mm-hmm. We need to be educated on this and have a balanced view of what's going on. Yeah, and, and there's lots of other things that, that we could look to, things that are going on in the, in the world. We see the wars and the rumors of wars. You think of even the conflict with, between Russia and Ukraine. I've, I've heard individuals say, oh, this is Gog and Magog, and they just jump to that conclusion immediately. Maybe it is, 
But maybe it's not. I mean, we don't have that definite uh, conclusion that that is necessarily the case. Well, because though there are different things going on, the conclusion can jump to those things, and then so we miss out on the things that are still right in front of us, yeah, speculating right. mm-hmm. rather than on working. We're saying we got to get out. We're about to get out of here. So, right. So quit looking side to side. Start looking upward. Right. And and in one sense that's true, but in another sense, our call as the church is to look at our neighbor. Yes. And to engage our neighbor. Yes. And if, and it's an, it's always a both end. You 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 await the return of Christ and you wait for the blessed hope, but not at the expense of right. loving, serving, engaging, challenging, confronting your neighbor. And our argument is going to be in a little while that that eschatology should drive us towards that zeal to reaching our neighbor, yes. not a pulling back. So to the extent that we are, anybody within our fellowship, anybody within our churches is embracing an escapist mindset, we want to admonish them in love, please stop. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's not helpful for you. It's not helpful for your church. It's not helpful for your neighbor. If that's what that's in being embraced, please stop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, dispensationalism, true dispensationalism, a, the, the movement we're a part of that, that takes our hermeneutic to the scriptures, it's never been escapist. And so this is where we want to play defense first. And, and the first thing we want to say is that escaping isn't a negative thing. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and Zechariah 14 is where I'm going to start. In, in Zechariah 14, uh, we have this amazing promise, prophecy, beautiful picture of what's going to happen at the Lord's return. And this is when he's coming back at the end of the tribulation. This is when Israel is, is realizing salvation through Jesus Christ. And in Zechariah 14.4, it says, On that day his feet, this is the Lord Yahweh, <laughs> his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee, talking to Israel, you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to us all. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And then... The Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. Escape looks like it's in in a pretty good light there. Escape is good in in that sense, isn't it? I mean, anybody want to endure the wrath of God? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Any Israelites who'd say, "Oh, you know what? I don't want to be an escapist, so I'm going to stick stick around through this wrath. I'd rather stay out here." No, the 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 escape there for Israel is painted in in a very positive light. Yes, and many places in Scripture. I mean, John. 14.3, 14.3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, that mm-hmm. we are going to be leaving this place. He's going to take us to be with him. That is that is not a negative thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's passages, that all the, you know, 1 Thessalonians 4, of course, that's the, the bedrock rapture passage. We all know what that speaks of, and the, are you going to read that text for well, us? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is critical for the church. We're, talk, we're speaking yeah. here to the church. The church should not be escapist. And it says in First Thessalonians chapter 4, of course, that we shouldn't be uninformed, but we believe that Jesus is going to come back, that the dead in Christ will rise first. And verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That's an escape, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> To meet the Lord in the air. And, and what's, an, what's an escape from? Just a few verses later in chapter 5, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Not on us, 
We've escaped. But sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. We will escape. They will not escape. Verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is an escape for Christians that is a glorious, beautiful, hopeful yes. escape. Yes. Another passage, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, and this, this isn't necessarily speaking to uh, in, uh, an eschatological escape in the sense of the rapture necessarily, but, but there is an escape in this text where uh, Peter writes, He has granted to us his precious and very great promises, 2 Peter 1 verse 4, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. There is is an escape for us, for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, that we are escaping the wrath of God, we are escaping the corruption that is in the world, that that is a reality, and that is a positive thing. We shouldn't be afraid of that. We Praise God, we're going yeah. to escape from these things. Amen. To the church in Philadelphia, Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. There's a promise of escape. And in Revelation chapter 6, the uh, last passage on this, Revelation 6, the last two verses, 16 and 17, you have here uh, people uh, calling to the mountains and the rocks. This is, this is just going to be an amazing time on the earth, this tribulation. They call out to the mountains and the rocks saying, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? We're not going to be there. We're not calling out to the rocks on the mountain saying, hide us from, from the wrath, right? We, we, we're not destined for wrath. We're destined for salvation. So our first response to people who say, you shouldn't be an escapist, is, hold on just a second. We agree, but escape is a good thing. Amen. Uh, The scriptures paint an escape for God's people, those who he is saving. We get an escape from his wrath. We get an escape from the present corruption of this world. Escape as a theme in scripture is a good thing for the people of God. Let's get that oriented in our minds first. Amen. So we're, now we're to take that concept of escape, though, and we're to use that and apply it in a particular way. And this is something that we can see throughout the history of the church and how it's been used. We're to take the comfort that we escape God's wrath and use that hope and that knowledge to spur us on, as many have in the history of our fellowship, in the history of dispensationalism. And there's lots of different examples that we could go to. Some of the most, even just today con- contemporaneously, yeah. some of the most helpful voices in how we think through cultural issues they're dispensationalists. Yeah. Some of the most helpful voices. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you take John MacArthur, for example. He, he holds to a dispensational eschatology. He's not shy about that at all. He's taught pre-trib rapture, his whole ministry, as far as I'm aware. And look at what just he just went through in California. Yeah. He didn't try to escape the culture. He didn't hide from the culture. Confronted it head on. Yes. But he was, he was following, following the Lord's command for the church to gather and regardless of what Caesar said, uh, there he was as a dispensationalist, having the most noteworthy fight, I think, in America with the culture on that issue. Yes. That's uh, an amazing example. Another example would be, would be Daryl Bach down at Dallas Theological Seminary. He is the chair for the Hendricks Center for Cultural Engagement. Like their mission is to figure out how we can engage the culture for Jesus Christ. And he's got a podcast. They talk about different things there. Uh, and so that's... He's, here's another dispensationalist who is 
actively engaging and seeking uh, to provide helpful conversations yes. for how we engage the world. There's a guy named Scott Aniel. Anybody of you know that name, Scott Aniel? He's with G3 Ministries. If you don't know about G3, if you don't know about Scott Aniel, it's good to just be aware of these guys. G3 is based out of Atlanta. Scott's a dispensationalist, and he's been writing some pretty interesting articles where he's going after some cultural issues, and those are making their rounds on Twitter and everywhere else. Uh, but he's coming up as a younger guy with influence who represents our flavor of theology, our hermeneutic, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is he's doing great work. Do you know the name Shea Hoodman? should know that name. GotQuestions.org. <laughs> a dispensationalist. People get on the internet, they've got questions about different things. Sometimes it's theology, sometimes it's, it's other areas of life that, that connect to, okay, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about that? GotQuestions.org is one of the most hit websites answering those questions. Thousands upon thousands, I think it's hundreds of thousands of questions answered. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's an incredible thing. They get millions and millions of visits to their website every year. So it's, it's an incredible ministry dispensationalist. Yeah. And, uh, and Shay's a Calvary grad, too, he by is. the way. So yes, he is. Plug for Calvary. But, but you know, the, the Reformed response especially, because a, yeah. a lot of the charge about dispensationalists are escapists, it comes from our Christian brothers who are Reformed. Yes. And especially now that post-millennialism is really in vogue. Uh, we're seeing a surge in post-millennialism, which it's so strange to me. When I was in Bible college, I was told post-millennialism was, was really popular until the world wars. Mm-hmm. And then people started looking around saying, hey, the world's not getting better. What are, we, <laughs> what are we talking about here? And so it lost popularity. Well, now it's rising while our world is in utter turmoil and totally upside down. And now it's rising. So it's just an interesting trend. Uh, but the reform camp is going to look at us and they're going to say, okay, yeah, you're listening to these guys and you're, you're saying all these things. But what about the, the John Haggies out there, the John Haggies of the world? Haggie, Haggie, whatever his name is. Haggie. <laughs> whatever. Uh, he writes his books about the, the blood moons and stuff. And, and he has interesting teaching. And there, there are lots of guys like him. Mm-hmm. And they are also dispensational. So, wh- so, so wh- what's our response to that? I think our response would be, okay, yes, these are in- individuals. They're, they're very loud. Uh, they're very eyebrow-raising. A lot of times when they start delving into some of these things, like the blood moon stuff, it doesn't, it's not actually exegesis of the text. It, it get, begins to get into speculation about prophetic fulfillments, and it becomes an unhealthy focus on that speculation on prophetic fulfillment rather than on just sit, being open and honest with what the text actually says and embracing it for that. And I think they play into people's desires for answers. Yeah, totally. People want to know. We want to we put all the pieces together. There are times where God's not designed us to put the pieces together. Jesus yeah. said, no man knows the day or the hour. We're clearly not intended to put all the pieces together. But we start getting into this speculation about stuff that, that we can't know the answer mm. until we are with him in glory anyway. Yeah. And so it, it plays into that desire. Uh, but the bottom line is, is it speculation or is it sound biblical exegesis, yeah. and that needs to be the dividing line. So when people lay that charge against us as dispensationalists, well, you're just so fixated on the fulfillment of prophecy so you can get out of here, and they point to guys like Hagee and others, we, we respond by saying, hey, that's not the best of dispensational thought here, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, those aren't the guys that, that we uh, convene with at our convention, uh, and we, we are more interested in exegeting the text of Scripture yes. than we are with playing people's heartstrings, essentially, 
Uh, I mean, this is the same thing that people do with books on angels or those those heaven tourism books mm. <laughs> that mm. are always the bestsellers and they're at Walmart and stuff. Yeah. Uh, the, the Joel Osteens, too, of the world. Um, it's the same line of thinking. Well, this is what people want to hear. It's tickling their ears. And, and we're not into that. And it doesn't mean we shy away from prophecy. Not at all. Because it's in the text, and we affirm, we embrace, we have to teach prophecy because it's there in the text, and we we embrace it for what it is, but we we never go beyond what is written. We never go beyond what is written. An unhealthy fixation on fulfillment of prophecy that leads to avoiding the culture around us is what we're saying is that that's not dispensational. Right. That's not true exegetical uh, theology. That's, That's playing people's emotions. Yes. Now, if we look backwards into history and we look at some of the dispensational thinkers and, and activists that have participated in different things in history, we would find a very rich history of individuals engaging their world and doing so for Christ. I mean, you think of guys like D.L. Moody and the things that he did with his Sunday school and the, and the church that was born out of, out of his effort there. And, and we, we talk about Sunday school today and we think of it as just another time for Bible study. D.L. Moody was actually doing education school hmm. with children who were not receiving education. It, it was, you could argue it was somewhat humanitarian, but he was using the scriptures to help teach literacy and things of that nature. And so it's, it was a tremendous opportunity. He was engaging a real problem and a real issue in Chicago, but doing so with the heart of Christ, hmm. with the desire to get the gospel into these homes, into these families. And a church was born out of that. Hmm. Uh, Sunday school in that time was not another just, just a Bible study. It was a literacy time. And yeah, we see what God has done through that. Yeah, Bible colleges and seminaries across the country, uh, even around the world, that yeah. have been started by dispensationalists uh, that that have come from dispensational theology. Of course, the idea there is to train people who are in the church, but you're training them to to send them out as exactly. missionaries, yes. as church planners, as as all kinds of uh, roles that in- directly engage the culture. Uh, there's been a, a major dispensational influence in the training of men. Absolutely, you think of. Uh, Moody, uh, Moody Bible Institute, yep. Calvary Bible College, now Calvary University, Master Seminary, um, D- Dallas. It, the list could go on and on and on of you know, Grace Theological Seminary. These schools, uh, wherever they stand today, they were started by dispensational guys with the mission of getting yep. the gospel out. The Plymouth Brethren Movement was dispensational, yep. and out of that movement have, have come so many guys, uh, Hudson Taylor, Watchman Nee, George Mueller, um, Jim Elliott, F.F. Bruce, uh, all of these guys who have gone and done amazing things by the grace of God in engaging foreign foreign cultures or uh, domestic <laughs> cultures, and uh, or, or written books that we benefit from still today uh, that has its roots in dispensational theology. And even even today, if you just go up to the IFCA website and you go and you click on the tab that says ministries. And then the, the, the link that says member organizations. And you scroll through that list, and you see the list of not only Bible college, seminaries, member organizations, all the mission agencies. Yeah. And there's, a, there's not just a few. There, there's a lot there as you scroll through that. All of them dispensational and yet greatly desiring to get the gospel out, sending individuals around the world for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, doing so not avoiding the culture, mm-hmm but being driven by their theology to go forth and engage the world around them. And that's not to mention the countless nameless pastors from small churches to big churches all around the world who hold to the same hermeneutic that we do, who come to the same conclusions theologically that we do, and yet they're just serving faithfully, engaging their culture. 
Amen. And they, they have, they've done so without any of the pomp and circumstance. <laughs> uh, and, and they are driven by their theology. It, it's not something that happens in spite of their theology. It's something that happens as a direct result of their theology to engage their culture. And so our conclusion has to be from all that. Again, this is all plain defense, but our conclusion has to be escapism is not a necessary deduction of dispensational theology at all. That's right. I mean, full stop, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So now, now let's go on offense. Okay, we just defended ourselves for a yep. long time. But, but now we need to go on offense and say, how does that theology then drive us to engage the culture away from this escapist mentality? Yeah, so the, I think part of the case that we just made is the reality that our eschatology actually drives our ministry more than many people realize. Hmm. Uh, the, the imminent return of our Lord that reality really should provoke within us and motivate every single Christian, every single church, every single individual that names the name of Christ, regardless of eschatological particulars, that the imminent return of our yeah. Lord should drive us to engaging our world around us for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just by way of personal anecdote, I'm in ministry because of eschatology. God used Second Peter chapter 3 and the revelation there about the coming day of the Lord and the conclusion that Peter gives in that text about now we're to consider the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation, God used that text within my own heart and life to say, I want you in ministry. Huh. I'm in ministry because of eschatology. I'm in ministry because of our eschatology. It, it, it has driven me towards ministry. If Jesus Christ is being patient and it desires more people to be saved, then that's what I want to give my life to. That's huh. why he hasn't come back yet, yeah. for more to be saved. And so I want to give my life to that. And just as our eschatology informs our mission here on earth, so does our protology. If we go to the beginning and yes. we go back to Genesis, I mean, the purpose of man that, that was given to Adam here was to subdue the earth. Yes, have to, dominion. To go and to have dominion. And now, of course, through the fall, a lot of that's gotten messed up. Mm -hmm. That's a really glib way to say that. Uh, but <laughs> a lot of things have gotten more difficult and challenging and confused, complicated. Yet there is still this reality that's on us as image bearers of God that we are in the world to engage with the world, yes, to reflect the the, the power, dominion of God, and the way that we exercise that over creation, yes. And that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we are His representatives, yes. to take dominion on the earth. That's right. Yeah. I mean, if we if we lose sight of, and we know this, if we lose sight of the beginning chapters of the Bible, we lose the Bible. Mm. You lose Genesis 1 through 12. A lot of people say, we'll say 1 through 11, but I've got to include the Abrahamic covenant in there. You, you lose Genesis 1 through 12. You lose so much of the Bible. Yeah. And if you lose the first two chapters of Genesis, you lose so much of the Bible. Just those first two chapters. And, and that informs us of not only who we are, but what we're supposed to be up to in our, in our time on earth. Yeah, we're to be stewards of our world while we await the return of Christ. We're to be good stewards of the world that he has entrusted to us. So yeah, we, we should engage the world for the gospel. We should engage the world just culturally. So we yeah. vote, we advocate for positive change where we can. We volunteer at different places like crisis pregnancy centers, at, at uh, homeless shelters. Uh, we speak against abortions. We celebrate Roe v. Wade, right? We do all these things. We, we advocate for a biblical sexual ethic. All of these things because we are to be good stewards of the world that he has entrusted to us while we await his return. And we know that this is never going to be perfectly fulfilled yeah. by mere humanity. That's right, yeah. Yeah, well, you just said we're awaiting his return. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, talking about the coming of Christ uh, and how he's going to come and reign 
He's going to put his enemies under his feet, and then he's going to turn the kingdom over to the Father. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting in verse 27, it says, well, I'll start in verse 26. It says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then 27 says, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. So that's what's going to happen when Christ returns, is all things will be put in subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be physical, it'll be explicit, there'll be no doubt. His dominion will be from sea to sea, Zechariah says. There'll be no doubt there's a king, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Yet what's interesting about this, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 26, is that this is quoting, referencing Psalm 8, going back to Psalm 8, which was originally speaking to man that God has put all things in subjection under man's feet, generally speaking, I mean, by image bearers of God. And so there is this mandate that is on us as image bearers of God, men and women who are made in his image, who have been placed in the earth to engage with the earth, to subdue the earth, yet we will never ultimately fulfill it. The ultimate fulfillment comes from the ultimate man, Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate capital M man, Jesus Christ. And that's where this will be totally, utterly, clear when he reigns on the earth and all things are in subjection under his feet. Yeah, so that's, that's the creation mandate that was given at the beginning of all things. Well, there's the new creation mandate. We have the Great Commission, of course, to go out and to proclaim the gospel. But then in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as, as Paul begins to speak of, of our uh, desire, let me flip over, I'm trying to flip with one hand and I'm having trouble with it. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you want me to read it? Go ahead. 2 Corinthians 5.17 uh, great memory verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And in that context, there's the, the concept of the love of Christ compels us to engage the world. We are a new creation. Paul, in this text, is connecting the concept of being compelled by the love of Christ, being a new creation, having the ministry of reconciliation to the concept of being his ambassadors on the earth. If we are his ambassadors, and if we speak for the Lord on the authority of his word, of course we're going to be engaging the world. Mm-hmm. We're going to be letting the world know what yeah. God has said That's it. about the gospel, and about how we ought to be living. And we're going to be inventive and creative as we reflect the image of God in that evangelism, yes. in that engagement. It's not just this cold, like, well, it's our duty, you know. So I guess on, on Facebook, once a week, I'll post a verse. We're we're not we're not just like robots or you know some dry boring whatever. Part of reflecting the image of God is being creative, being inventive, and and being engaging. Not not just engaging the culture, but doing it in an engaging way, in a way that will win their ear. And so as we go out and 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 seek to mingle with the world around us, we do so in a way that carries both of those mandates, the creation mandate and the new creation mandate. Yes. The Great Commission. Someone asks, oh, well, are we ever going to actually be successful in that? The question I think needs to be, how are you defining success? What, is it, what does that look like? And, I mean, well, well, and, and let's face it, a lot of people have given up on the culture because they haven't been successful according to their preconceived standards. True. So you've got to go back and question that. The reality is, is we've been promised hardship, have we not? All those who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We're we're to expect that there are going to be difficult times. But we do also have the surety of the promise that Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But even so, we're not promised that we're going to find success at every turn, that life is going to be easy, that this, as we carry forward the the creation mandate and the new creation mandate, that that's just going to be all sunshine and roses all the way out. No, we're not promised that. But 
with every victory that is had, with every individual that does come to faith in Jesus Christ, that is a gift from God. It is an yeah. expression of his mercy. Yep. And we rejoice in that every day that we get closer to his return. I would go as far to say is we've been promised the opposite in that the general trajectory of the world is downward. Yeah. Things will go from bad to worse, Jesus says, right? Yeah. Uh, as we get closer to the end. Birth pangs are the illustration that's used here, <laughs> right? Uh, not fun. No. Nope. Not fun. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. But, you know, you and I have talked about this before, the ministry of Jeremiah yes. or the ministry of Isaiah. That, that almost is like a, a, a model for what the church's ministry is like in that not, not many people are going to listen. Yeah. We, we aren't going to have, uh, you know... Isaiah big... was directly told, hearing they will not hear, seeing they will not see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That didn't change his mission. It didn't. He was still to go out and engage with those people, even with that promise of rejection. Knowing that there was a greater promise over the horizon, of, that he was given a vision of a future kingdom when the Messiah would rule and reign, yeah. and that's the same vision that we have as well, looking forward to his return. It, and, but we do have it better, because Jesus said, I will build my church, right? Yes, yes. And so we, we have that promise that he is going to build his church, and there will be times of revival, there will be times of church growth, there will be times of just like the sweeping influence of God in our communities and our culture. I think if you look at our nation for the last, you know, well, the time it's existed, the last uh, couple hundred years, um, there have, there's been just an amazing outpouring of God's grace in this nation that is unique to world history, mm. that is absolutely unique to world history, and we thank God for that. Amen. And he, he is able to do that, obviously, to go against the grain of the trajectory of the world for his own glory in, in bringing sinners to himself. Amen. And so that as we just kind of wind down and conclude this, the reality is we know how all this ends, Right? We know how all this ends. We will be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. There's, so even as we walk this world, even as we anticipate facing the hardship, facing the persecution, facing all that, there's, there's really no reason for fear. There's no reason for discouragement. There's no reason to, to try to pull back and just, just huddle up in our holy huddles and just try to avoid the world. There's no reason for any of that because we know who gets the last laugh. And we know who, who wins in the end. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is coming. And we will reign with him. Yes. So we should go to the Mass. We should preach the gospel. We should go forth. We should proclaim the goodness, the excellencies of him who has called Amen. us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We should engage the culture with the new creative means like you were talking about. We should get engaged with our community. And we should escape escapism. <laughs> By focusing on the gospel yeah. in every area of life. Yeah. Amen. Good. All right. That's the end of our notes. Yeah. So anybody has any questions or, or comments, this is now we have, if you want to come up to the microphone here, we can uh, engage with that. I don't know how much, how much time do we have. We got... I don't know what time we're supposed to stop. 11.45 or 11.30? Oh, wow. We got plenty we of time. We got tons of time. Yeah. Go ahead. Your, your definition of escapism included that aspect of over-realized eschatology. And I wonder if you could unpack that just a little bit further. We would tend to think of over-realized eschatology as the ah-mill or even the post-mill. Yeah, right. Yeah. How does escapism yeah. fit in this idea of over-realized mm. eschatology? Yeah, I think the, the over-realized part uh, comes in as people start to connect those dots when they're fixated on the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, there's, there's no, nothing wrong with being fixated on prophecy. The Bible's full of prophecy. But being fixated on the fulfillment 
and connecting it to your personal situation, your personal context, as a justification for disconnecting from those around you. Because what's happening is there's those connecting points of things that, according to our prophecy, as we look at our timelines, we love our charts, right? We look at all those charts. Most of the things that we're looking at are prophesied to happen after the rapture. And yet we're looking at these things and saying these are signs of the rapture, but, but they're prophesied to come after the rapture. And so we're bringing them forward. It, it, it's, that's, that's why we would say it's, it's the over-realized part where, where that stuff is, is prophesied to occur after the Lord's return for and, His church. And to use just a real low-hanging fruit example, Harold Camping. Do we remember Harold Camping? Uh, his famous prophecy a decade ago, it was 2012, that was supposed to come to fruition in May of 2012. There were, they got billboards all around the country, the Lord's coming back. Well, that, as much as we don't like it, and as much as we would legitimately distance ourselves, uh, he was taking some dispensational thought to drive him toward that advocation of putting a date. And calling people, basically just to prepare themselves, you know, ignore everybody else, prepare yourself, he's coming back May 2012. And that, that is the over-realized eschatology we're talking about. Now, there are a whole bunch of different shades. That's an extreme example. But as you start working your way back, there are ways that we can easily fall into some of that dialogue. Just earlier this year, someone sent me a YouTube video. We missed the rapture again, by the way. It was supposed to be on June 16th. And there was a whole process how they got to that date. So what are we doing? <laughs> What's, what are we actually doing? And um, So, yeah, that's, that's where that idea would come from. Yeah, it doesn't have to be questions. Thoughts, okay, too. Okay, just a comment. I, have, I personally know several dozen people that are... If you could lean into that mic a little bit. ...currently living in compounds, stacking beans and rice and tuna uh-huh. fish, and there's not one dispensationalist among them. Mm. They're escapists. They're... Um, yeah, they're expecting to go through the tribulation wisely, as we pointed out. It's something you want to escape. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, those are people I know. I, I yeah. know their faces. So. Well, I, you know that's it's interesting. I know no dispensationalists like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a, a section that actually got cut from the talk because I thought we were going to run out of time. Of it's not just dispensationalists that do this. So, you know, lots of individuals that the the stockpiling yeah. mentality, the individuals that think they're going to go through the end of the world. Yeah. Have, you, have um, you been to Central Idaho lately? Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a shortage on tinfoil hats up there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but individuals that talk about, oh, I'm just, you know what, things have got to the point, I'm just going to take my family, build a cabin in the middle of the woods, and live out there. I'm just going to ride it out. Well, what is that? If, if that's not a, a negative escapism, w- w- what is that? And they're, mm-hmm. they're not dispensational individuals. They're either all-millennial or, or uh, post-millennial at times as well. Yeah, and a lot of so. time, too, they're stacking all their ammo. It's like, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> uh, I don't know what they have in their heads. That's scary. Dr. Dodds. You ready for another one? Cool. Oh. I have a family member who is uh, reformed, and in a discussion once about the rapture and eschatology and whatnot. He says, you believe in the rapture because you want to escape pain. Mm. You don't want to go through the difficulties. Um, could the problem be, you know, we, we emphasize the rapture. Yeah. I'm not going to be here. I'm, gonna, I'm out of here. Is it maybe a wrong way that we're presenting eschatology? Mm. Or, or Could be an aspect of a, a, a wrong emphasis on the application of the doctrine. Right. It, again, as we presented earlier, there's nothing wrong with escaping no. God's wrath. Like, just I would turn it back around. Oh, our um, 
you, you believed in Jesus Christ, that means you're not going to be in hell. Are you trying to escape hardship? I mean, are you? Like, like why is escaping hardship, why is that a negative thing? That's, it's not a negative thing. Now, we can turn around and say, yeah, okay, yeah, maybe the emphasis and how we apply that doctrine could be sharpened. And that's where we don't want to use that doctrine to pull back and just disengage from mm-hmm. everything. It should drive us to interacting with individuals. And you know what that's going to lead to? Hardship. Mm-hmm. Here and now. If I apply my eschatology correctly... All who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We're not trying to escape from hardship. Yeah. Yeah, the, there's always a tension between our doctrine and our practice and how we can make good things bad things. Uh, we've been going through the book of Romans in our adult Sunday school class in our church, and we're in chapter 14. And uh, I made the comment this past week that, that freedom is dangerous. Now, it's good, but it's also dangerous, right? And God has given us a lot of freedom. We are his church, and we are not under the law. We are free. Um, and, and freedom can be abused. And I'm wondering if there's a sense in which uh, hope can be dangerous and that hope can be abused. I saw a, a tweet a few weeks ago. I think the guy since deleted the tweet. He's, he's got a, a decent Twitter following, and I tried to save the link, and then I went back to the link, and it was gone. But he said uh, essentially that the doctrine of the pre-trib rapture is unbiblical, and it's one of the most dangerous doctrines being taught in the church today. So that, that's what some Reformed people are saying about us. Not all, obviously, but some. Some are saying that. And I'm assuming he comes from a background where maybe he was raised in a church that's similar to a lot of the churches that are represented in this room, and perhaps he didn't have any models in the church of, of leaders who were engaging the culture and helping him engage the culture. Because that's where so many of the critiques come from that I see. They're not on exegetical grounds, because they can, <laughs> right? They're not on exegetical grounds, but they are on practice, uh, the grounds of practice, that saying, well, that it has led to this disengagement with the culture, and then that, that, that makes it dangerous, that makes it bad, so stay away. And, and so I think we have to be careful as leaders in, in churches, or just people with influence in the church, that we need to be modeling what it looks like to engage with the culture in a in an uncompromising yet gracious way, and connect the younger generation to those ministries. Uh, because someone will. I mean, right now, like I said, post-millennialism is hot in the streets, as the kids say. And uh, I tell you what, they have a handle on YouTube and social media. The post-millennialists are out there, are, are getting to work, and they're putting a lot of us to shame by the way that we're not getting to work. I'm listening to this, and I really appreciate the discussion. I keep thinking about the believer in the rapture, and it's not so much about what we escape, but that we are going to be in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus teaches us that we're looking for the blessed appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see any advantage in trying to steer the conversation that way? Plus, would it help motivate the church to want to acquaint others with the Christ we can't wait to see? Hmm. I love that. That is that really is such a significant a significant point and and a good corrective on there is the reality of what we're escaping and and I mean scripture speaks directly to that but as you mentioned that that blessed hope mm-hmm. the glorious appearing of our great God and savior Jesus Christ I want to be with Jesus. Yeah. It it doesn't say then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds so that we can escape what's going on in the earth. Yeah. <laughs> it says 
so we will always be with the Lord. Amen. I mean, now, the, the other thing is a reality, but what Paul emphasizes here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that we will always be with the Lord. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a good, that would be a good way to steer conversations on that. <laughs> say, I, say that again. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Who, who are the... Uh, repeat it on the mic because that won't... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. He said it keeps us from praying for the rapture every April 14th yeah. for all the uh, uh, pr- procrastinators in the room. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Other thoughts or questions? Anybody want to feature their voice on, on the Do Theology podcast? <laughs> it reaches tens and tens of people. Cool. Well, thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening. This is uh, yeah. hopefully our desire again is that this would be a, a helpful conversation. We desire that this would serve the church. Hopefully, it's a, a resource that can be used to help uh, you know answer charges against mm-hmm. escapism and people as they accuse us of that. We can have a good resource to respond against that. But hopefully, also it provides us a helpful foundation upon which we can stand to to engage the world, and that the, how our eschatology ought to drive us forward yeah. with a zeal for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that in every area of life, wherever we stick our hand, that the gospel is the Amen. core and the foundation of that. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, next time you're in a conversation with someone and the charge comes up that, that you know, dispensationalists just want to get out of this world and leave, leave it to, you know, dwindle down, uh, send them a link to this episode. Go to dotheology.com, send them a link, say, listen to this, and then we'll talk some more. That, that's why we do these episodes, is to help aid you in your conversations. Very good. Well, until next time, do theology. We have no music to play now. We don't now. (laughs) That'll be in post. (laughs) Thanks for joining. Thanks for joining us.